My work now is really about exploring ideas of transformation and our relationship to kind of the two main things that everybody has in common, and that's that we're born and we die, and how we reconcile that that kind of reality. Um, and then looking to nature for instances of that. Welcome to Our Cold Conversations. I'm Jay Howard, an instructor in the Department of Communication at Missouri State University. And today, my guest is Deidre Argyle, associate professor in the art and design department who teaches sculpture. We talk about some of Deidre's own sculptures, as well as her work on Sculpture Walk Springfield. We talk about the power of public art and about public art's role in placemaking and economic vitality. We talk about the different sizes and scale of sculpture, from the very small all the way up to large immersive installations. We talk about several individual sculptures that are part of Sculpture Walk currently. We talk about permanent versus rotating sculptures. We talk about where these works of art come from and the artists who make them. We also talk about a program called Lawn Art with Neighbors, which is a great program that happens in the spring, and because of which, works of art might pop up in your neighborhood. By the way, there's a symposium coming up November 10th, featuring a panel of artists moderated by Deidre. The full name of the event is Visiting Artists, Designers, and Scholars Series, Public Sculpture Symposium, Concept, Material, and Placemaking. If you would like to attend this free webinar, you can register for the event using the link in the show notes. We had a few connectivity issues during our initial conversation, which were minimized during the editing process, but Deidre and I do discuss, at one point, that most relatable of topics, which internet service provider we currently hate the least. And now I bring you Deidre Argyle. Today I'm joined by Associate Professor of Sculpture at MSU, Deidre Argyle. Deidre, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. This question is a little bit off, off the beaten path here, but um, how, did you, how did you find your way into sculpture? How did you find your calling as an artist? Well, I kind of always knew I wanted to be an artist, although I didn't know that artists existed in the world uh, until I went to an art museum for the first time when I was 13. Wow. And then I was like, okay, I can do that. Before that, I thought whatever job you had, you got to draw. I was really naive, right? Because I was a kid. So <laughs> I thought like, if I wanted, if I like drawing dolphins, because I lived in California at the time, then I should be a marine biologist, because then I would get to draw dolphins. Of course. But then I took like science and math and was like, oh, this isn't really for me. <laughs> and then I went to an art museum and it kind of was like, oh, people make art. I can do that. So that kind of led me on that path. And then um, I started out in painting and drawing, probably like a lot of students, maybe today they might start out in animation or graphic design because that's what we're taught most about in school. But um, pretty quickly, my paintings started to become three-dimensional and I didn't know how to make them stand up in the world. So I took sculpture and I realized that sculpture was actually the place that I best vocalized or visualized my ideas. Um, like my 2D work tends to not, I feel like it doesn't always express what I'm trying to express as much as I can do three-dimensionally. So then in college, I ended up in 3D. 
we don't get AT&T at our, we're the only house in the neighborhood. Oh, really? So the only options, Mediacom, and I'm not using them ever again. So. Well, that, that's how I feel about AT&T. <laughs> really? <laughs> it makes me think of the, that, um, the sculpture of yours labor saving device. Yeah. Um, I, I, <laughs> that would be easier than just, it'd be a lot easier than, um, trying to use AT&T. <laughs> <laughs> Probably just get it over with. <laughs> um, well, since we're back on and, um, I, I will jump over to, to those works. Um, so for anyone who hasn't seen it, they should go to your website and look at some of, uh, some of the, the pieces listed there. Uh, and I'm on the website now. You have it listed uh, under older works, I think. Mm-hmm. There's there's a piece called labor-saving device. And if I am interpreting this correctly, it looks like a machine designed to allow the viewer to punch the viewer's self in their own face. Yes, you were reading correctly. <laughs> I, I, I love it. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I can't, I don't even know how to interpret it other than to say that it's, it's, it's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I, I made that piece um, for my graduate thesis work when I was at the University of Arizona. And it, um, the intention of it was to kind of draw attention to the fact that we're responsible for our own actions. Hmm. And I found it kind of humorous that we felt that we could feel guilty. And then that was like enough to kind of like redeem what we had done wrong. So I made this machine so that you could just get over feeling guilty <laughs> and maybe have like a rep- repercussion for it. Um, That's great. Yeah. So like the front of it kind of looks like um, like a confessional with like the screen material, but it also is like a target, like a shooting target shape. And it has like a little pedal kind of. Yeah, right? it has a yeah. foot pedal that creates that gets a mechanism to move that then punches you with a, a cast aluminum fist. <laughs> Uh, are there any moving parts on, on on this device? It works. It does work. Okay. It does work. Yeah, you could break your nose probably with it if you actually were to use it. <laughs> <laughs> well, without without seeing it in person or or knowing uh, any um, backstory, just looking at it, I was like, yeah, there's there's a truth about human nature here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, that really that I really like. So we'll post um, a link to this in in the show notes. I would also love to ask you for the story behind um, one of the other installations listed there called "It Is What It Was." Absolutely. I understand that this um, has had has traveled um, to various places, including Venice and Maryland. Mm-hmm. Um, I know one of those is a city and the other, another one is a state, but bear with me. Uh, and closer to home, the Idea X Factory here in, in Springfield. Yes. Um, actually, Idea X Factory was the original location for that installation. When I first, I started here in 2016. And, you know, at that time, as a new faculty member, you know, we're in the College of Arts and Letters, we're awarded um, a summer fellowship. And that fellowship allowed me to develop a larger scale work than what, how you know, I previously had kind of worked at like human scale objects, like the punching machine that we looked at earlier. Um, but I had ideas for large immersive installations. And so being able to work um, at Idea X Factory, which was, uh, was right next to Brick City um, and who really like encouraged experimental um, 
artwork. So you could try their, their kind of mission was for artists to come try something they haven't done before. And like, hopefully you're going to have some failures along the way kind of situation. So that was really appealing to me because to travel and to produce an installation takes a lot of time and money. Um, having it local and being able to use students as resources and just be able to walk out my office door and go work on my installation was kind of unheard of. But that work, like kind of since graduate school ended in 2002, so there's a lot of conceptual development between then and 2016. And my work now is really about exploring ideas of transformation and our relationship to kind of the two main things that everybody has in common. And that's that we're born and we die and how we reconcile that that kind of reality. Um, mm. And then looking to nature for instances of that, you know, like maybe things eroding, um, cycles of nature that are apparent to us when we're um, out about looking and observing. So I created um, an installation that's really rooted in visuals from the Ozarks. Um, you know, a lot of it, like it's all fabric cube, like grid-like structures that replicate um, mountainsides or trees or like abstractly, um, the cubes are all based on Fibonacci, so they fit together. So there can be small parts that like come together and create a whole or break apart and become their own individual unique unit. And then I also collected video from the area of like, you know, water or any, anything in nature that was abstract enough that I could like edit down to a short and loop it so that you couldn't tell that it had a start or end, but was still kind of familiar. So I didn't want it to be like, this is a tree with water on it, but rather more of like a surreal experience. So the, um, when the viewer enters it, it's more about like your relationship to the object physically, um, the sound, the feeling of the space, um, creating kind of like, an, like a larger than you um, impact, just to give you a chance to reflect on uh, time passing or memories or you know anything of that kind of nature. Let me uh, let me describe what I see when I look at the picture uh, of is is what it was on the on the website. Okay. So when when you get to the website, you you have that uh, audio track that's that you can play um, that helps kind of put you in it. Um, it the first thing I'll say is the room looks to be dark. Um, you know, there's no no lights other than the light that is somehow within the 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 cubes, and um, so to me that creates an impression of like being in a cave. Mm-hmm. And the 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 water the metallic water drips uh, help me be in a cave as well. And of course, I when I do think of Missouri, I think of caves because we're the cave state. But the the cubes are all are all stacked up in interesting ways, and they do suggest other shapes. Um, and they appear to be lit from within, and it is very ambient. And it looks like it's big enough to to get in and move around in. Um, I don't know if like people could get in there and do jumping jacks or anything, but people could could move through it and see it from every angle. Um, is have I have I got that right based on what I'm seeing on the pic? Yes. Yeah. How long did it take to like assemble and disassemble once you had all the parts made? Well, now I can do one in about a week um, on site, like if I'm not doing anything else. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, maybe seven days of 
12 hours a day. Okay. But the first one took about a month to wow. install the one at IdeaX because there was a lot of problem solving and figuring out like how everything actually worked together. <laughs> I can only imagine the the energy, like just the mental energy it would take to uh, create something like that because you have to conceptualize it from nothing to a com completed project. <laughs> yeah, uh, I do make models, so that helps. I okay. Little tiny styrofoam cubes and I make rooms before I go anywhere just to make sure I'm kind of bringing the right amount of objects with me. Interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah, because every version of the installation is different. I think uh, one of the questions you wanted to talk about was what is an immersive installation? Yeah. And, um, you know, sculpture can take on um, the form of many things. You know, often we think of sculpture as like a standalone object, maybe something in front of a building or something on a pedestal. But installation art is really um, artwork that you enter into where your physical reaction to the work is as important in creating meaning as the object itself. So it's a much more engaged experience for um, the participant. Hmm. If, um, like one of the best examples, um, I have a book on installation art and it starts by describing Disneyland is like the most quintessential installation or like immersive environment that we can think of that everybody might know of because it really transports you to like a new world okay or you become part of that experience and so installation or immersive installation which would be where you're completely surrounded by and immersed it within does that and so I think of these in that way because they are like you enter into a new space you're not you're no longer like in a museum but you're inside the artwork itself yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah. So they're also site responsive, which means that they change every place I exhibit them because every space is different and unique to itself. So they you can't just take it and put it into somewhere else. It becomes a new piece. And then the piece also only exists if I have a place to exhibit it. Like right now, it's just folded flat pieces of fabric in boxes in my studio. You know, it's not a it's not an object anymore. I see. Yeah. So all of those elements go together, the both the location and the um, kind of like describing a, a stream or a river, um, like where does the river begin and the um, and end? Is the river the rocks that that makes up the bed? Is it only the water? Is it the sounds, um, the animals that live there? Um, yeah. The, yeah, the, that's a great analogy. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> I might steal that from you. <laughs> If you don't mind. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and you, you brought up the question of, of scale. And I love, um, the, so the bigger it is, the more it, it starts to implicate the viewer in it. Or the viewer can actually be be in it and perhaps in that. And so in being in it, be part of it. Um, and you can only do that at, at scale, it seems like. So if it's like a little tiny art object that would fit on a desk or something, maybe a, a bust of a human head or something, that seems like a the extreme other end of like, so the very big is the installations, the very small. But then there's so many um, uh, options between those two, two sides. Um, definitionally, which of those things can be described as, as sculptures? I think all of it can be described as sculpture because like sculpture today, we just think of as anything that occupies three-dimensional space. I mean, I, some people might argue that sound is sculpture. Oh. 
Um, yeah, and so it might be easier to define what isn't sculpture. <laughs> and even then people might question it, so. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah. So I, I teach a class on effective listening this semester. And um, I'm always telling my students, uh, listening is a topic that touches on just about any other topic you can think of. And so now I'm going to be, I'm going to be um, chewing on the concept of sound sculptures uh, <laughs> for the rest of the day. <laughs> now that you mentioned, now, now that you mentioned that. Um, nice. You can start with John Cage. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, that's a name I, th I think I'm familiar with from, um, uh, yeah, from the, from the Springfield Art Museum, right? He was there oh, yeah. recently. Yeah, I think they actually had uh, one of his sound pieces there, which um, was the one that he performed in silence. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, I'll most certainly will we'll look into that. Um, when I was thinking about scale and the very small pieces and the very big pieces and, and all the things in between, that, that brings me to sort of what we might call, you know, traditionally sized sculptures or sculptures for public display um, on a, in a public square or something like that, which of course puts me in mind of Sculpture Walk, Sculpture Walk uh, Springfield. Yes. And so I'd love to ask you some questions about that as I understand that you are involved with Sculpture Walk Springfield. Uh, if my notes are correct here, you're currently the vice president of the board of directors of Sculpture Walk. Is that right? I was as of last Friday. I am now uh, back, just back to the board. Back to the board. Yep. Excellent. Could you sketch a, a picture for me of what Sculpture Walk Springfield is for anyone who somehow has never been downtown to see a sculpture? Absolutely. So Sculpture Walk's um, vision is to create a museum without walls with access for all. And so we have currently over 30 sculptures placed within sight of each other um, in and around downtown Springfield. And the idea is, is that public art is really a key to placemaking and creating a sense of identity for locations that we live in. So I think it plays a pretty important role for downtown Springfield. I had totally missed the, that aspect of the, these sculptures are inside of each other. Yeah, and it, that's an important part of it. That's huge. So it's, it's, not, it's not, of course, that you can see every sculpture from every other sculpture, but that you can see at least one from, from the position of, of looking at one, you can always see at least one other. That's the goal. Okay. I think we do it 99% of the time. Because <laughs> <laughs> I did see on the website that there's a walking tour that like, you can download as an app. Um, yeah, there's an app called Otocast, which is, it's really a pretty interesting app, especially if you're traveling. So a lot of sculpture walks are a part of it, but also like history walks and things of that nature all across the U.S. Okay. But if you download it, sculpture walk is a part of that. And it'll like notify you when you're near a sculpture, there'll be a recording of the artist, um, images of the work. So you could, um, in effect, almost view sculpture walk from that app, but I would suggest also looking at the sculptures because <laughs> they are meant to be viewed in person. <laughs> <laughs> so the podcast is on your phone, your phone knows when you're near one and it pulls up the appropriate audio track and prompts you. Yep. And you have to, yeah, you have to hit play on the audio track, but yeah. it's like a, it's essentially like a, a Google map inside the app and it has all the little pins and you can click on them and see who made them and more information about the work. That's so cool. You know, you mentioned that people should see them in person. Uh, I have to share 
story of um, this one sculpture, my experience of it. It's called Walking Through a Quagmire. Yeah. By Shana Morose. Yes. So for those who haven't seen it, um, how I would describe it is there's these lifesavers, like life preservers, and the rings that are on boats, but they are made of concrete. Um, and also they're way above one's head. I don't know, they're up like 10 feet on a sort of um, scaffold built for them, connected by ropes. And I was just walking around downtown, sort of unsuspecting, didn't realize that there was a new sculpture in place. I, I'm, I'm right under it. I look up and had the sense of, of like being underwater, you know, because these things that are supposed to be floating on the surface are above me. Um, so I did, I felt immediately incorporated into the work and uh and then it was unsettling because the lifesaver was made of concrete and it wouldn't probably wouldn't help me if i if i needed to get out of the uh out from under the water so that's a, a i think in a my personal lived example of how seeing these in person is can be a, a powerful interesting experience i love that the example um that you brought up was shana morose's work because she's actually one of my students um, who applied for sculpture walk and was accepted and that's her very first public sculpture oh wow I think it's quite effective in conveying the meaning that she wanted and um, and I'm glad that you also had the same uh, reaction to it that she intended which is amazing well yeah that's uh, amazing for the yeah for the sculptor to to get that message across without words um, yeah another one another one I react to I didn't put it on my notes um, is you know, the, the one that's currently in front of the Hotel Vandevoort, um, yes. it's like a, a guy curled into a little ball. Yes. I, I've always reacted to that one. And I just recently read the little plaque where it said, this is the posture you should get into if you're in a lightning storm. Yes. <clears throat> Make yourself as small as possible. And and my, my thought was, um, that's exactly the position you should be in, both if lightning was governed by the laws of science. And also, if lightning was a god that you're trying to not to anger or like to be humble, <laughs> be humble before. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it just works on both levels. Um, Absolutely. Is that one part of Sculpture Walk as well? It is part of Sculpture Walk. Um, that's by Aaron Alderman. And actually on November 10th, um, I have a sculpture panel discussion that I'll be hosting with um, Aaron and Theta Sandiford, who made the... Um, shopping cart piece that's on the corner of walnut and campbell yeah in front of flame and um jen peak who made the sculpture that's in front of founders park so we'll have a about an hour discussion about public art and the role of materials and shapes and forms and meaning to springfield specifically i love that yeah i'll Um, send you an invite okay well i'll make sure to um pass up pass that information along too um, so you men- we've mentioned several artists and several sculptures. Let me just ask sort of a, the broad question of um, who are the artists and, and how, how do they get involved? You mentioned that at least some of them are, are students. Yes. Sculpture Walk puts out an international call for art from October to January on a number of different channels that artists look for opportunities. And then we accept applications um, during that time period. And then from those applications, we choose uh, with the large kind of selection committee that's formed of many community members 
um, we pick the sculptures that we want to see downtown or in Springfield, I should say. So Sculpture Walk believes that it should be like kind of juried by um, a broad range of voices so that we're representing many people and also by art professionals to help kind of raise the caliber of the work, um, which I think we're like, as we progress each year, that is slowly building on itself. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it's just going up and up. Yeah, and so the students apply alongside that pool of artists, with, normally with proposals because they haven't necessarily made the work yet. And some of them get accepted and some of them don't. And then the ones that are accepted also have the opportunity to apply for a grant that uh, Bob and Peg Carolla have set up for to pay for the materials for their work. Gotcha. Which is a really great opportunity for them. Yeah. I'm like kind of specifically proud that we're able to do that because one, it's really hard to get entry into public art. Two, for students in sculpture two and three to have that opportunity is um, not that common in education. Mm. So it really helps give them some strong professional development skills. Oh, absolutely. And builds like this great community within the department because they're there working. It's a lot of work to make a public sculpture in a month and a half. So, you know, they're there like burning the midnight hours together, helping each other. Um, and it's been really beneficial to the program, I think. So public art, I think I touched on it a little bit before, but public art has the ability to create a sense of space and to give an identity um, to a location. Mm. And through that, um, because it creates a sense of space and it shows that people care about the environment, that can actually lead to growth and um, economic vitality, like by driving businesses business to an area. Um, there is a perception in Springfield that downtown can be unsafe. Um, and we're hoping that through public art, we can transform that perception and drive more people to downtown to experience all the kind of great things that downtown has to offer. Um, I can give an example. There's a, a sculptor named Alexander Calder, who's really well known at this point in time, but Back in the 80s, he had made a piece for Grand Rapids, Michigan, which was kind of like the first large red abstract sculpture that the city had seen. It was hated. Um, the curator was shot at. Like, it caused a lot of problems. Today, that sculpture is the, like, emblem of the city. Wow. And it's on all the garbage trucks. It's everywhere. And I, I feel that if you tried to take that sculpture from Grand Rapids, that they would like not be very happy because people are now used to be seeing it and it becomes <laughs> imprinted in that space, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> if you think of downtown Springfield and you imagine no art, no murals, like what do we have, I guess would be a question. Hmm. Um, and I think growing that just makes it a better place to live. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned, you know, shots fired in Grand Rapids. Uh, have there have there been any issues with vandalism or otherwise with uh, sculptures in Springfield? Um, we have had some minor issues with vandalism. Um, nothing, nothing too major, but it does happen. It's public art. Um, when the public interacts with anything, you never really know what's going to happen. Yeah. This year we have a healthcare theme, which is like in homage to the healthcare workers after going through kind of a tremendous last couple of years. Absolutely. Uh, one of those pieces was made by a student, which is like a large mask 
um, like, like, you know, face mask, which is meant to pay homage to his family who are healthcare workers. It's not necessarily a statement about whether we should mask or not, but that mask has caused some problems for an individual um, who has sent like some kind of threatening emails, but that's kind of the most of it. And public, I mean, art, I feel that if art is sparking a conversation, it's kind of doing its job, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's expected. <laughs> <laughs> I know um, you mentioned it's expected. I know the like durability of materials is something that goes into the selection process and the planning process for the artist. Um, Absolutely. That uh, the shopping cart comes to mind, which is a, a notoriously indestructible object to begin with. And then the materials used are like zip ties and, um, and rope, you know, which will stand the test of time as well. So I, th I thought that was just, was just great. Yeah. I think, you know, part of what we want to see um, every year is some more diversity in materials because public sculpture tends to be like metal, you know, large scale metal, mm -hmm. but we have like, our work is just here for a year. So, and then we rotate the sculptures so we're looking for things that can withstand a year's worth of being outside. The shopping cart has actually um, been damaged a few times, but luckily it's easy to fix. Oh. I just kind of drive around with some zip ties in my car oh. um, and like put a new one on it, you know, but it's all, re it's repairable. And the art, the intention of the artist is actually that people interact with it. The first time she exhibited it was on Governor's Island and it wasn't actually bolted down so people could take it but you were on an island, so it couldn't disappear. <laughs> <laughs> we opted to bolt it down because I don't think we would have it today if we hadn't. Um, it just, I don't think we'd be able to find it in Springfield again. Yeah. Yeah. Someone, some, yeah. someone would have it be in some back alley somewhere, but. Um, yeah. It's just too cool. I'm like, put it in my yard. I want it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you mentioned that they, they rotate in their, for about a year. Um I saw that. So there are some temporary ones and there are also some permanent acquisitions. Is the theory behind rotating them just to get more sculpture uh, to like have the, have um, expose the public to, to just more pieces of art? Um, or is there an element of like, these aren't made to last forever in there as well? Well, I think it's for variety. You know, when you commit to a public sculpture that's permanent, you know, you were really um, speaking for the community at that point. Oh, interesting. And the rotation of sculpture allows for a large number and variety of works to come in. So even if somebody hates one of them, right, they might love something else. Mm -hmm. And then and then eventually that'll change. And some sculptures, like, you know, they'll leave and people will be really upset that they're gone, like Felix the Space Cat, which used to be in front of Vandervoort. Uh, it was actually there for two years. But we've had a large cry out for people to bring Felix back. So we're looking for ways for him to travel back to Springfield. We'll see what happens. Where, um, where is Space Cat now? Oh, that's a good question. Okay. You know, I'm not where, sure where he is in the uh, world, but he, I think he comes originally from the West coast, like Colorado. I'm, I'm just going to imagine he's in space. Yeah, uh, I think so. He might be on Mars or something. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I also miss folding weight, uh, which used to be, uh, it's, it's that gigantic metal one that like, you can sit under, like it's a, a tent. Yeah, that's um, actually still in Springfield. Where, where did it go to? Um, it's been donated um, to Sculpture Walk, and it's going to be donated to MSU, hopefully. Maybe I'm speaking too soon. We're in the process of working through all this. 
Currently, it's behind the former IDX in a temporary holding place um, for the Jordan Valley Creek reveal. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, but we're working to actually get it placed on campus. So hopefully in front of the library. Nice. Well, you heard it here first, folks. If that ends up, right. if that ends up happening. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm speaking before <laughs> I should, but we're hoping that that's what will happen. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Lawn Art with Neighbors is kind of one of my special projects that when, when COVID first hit and we were all sent home, I was tasked with how to teach sculpture via Zoom. Yikes. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I know that like many area, many like concentrations on camp in our community had the similar issue, but sculpture is really physical and tactile and students were sent home with no access to tools no materials, um, and I and we couldn't really ask them to go out and purchase things because we weren't allowed to leave our homes mm -hmm. at that point in time. So, the I came up with an idea of doing like found object sculpture with things that they already had, and then that led to a conversation um, with one of my former students, Shauna Smith, uh, Leanne Smith, who's now a grad yeah. student, in possibly creating like a small pop up public art event that we could like post on the internet we had 64 people uh participate which was amazing and it was not it's not geared towards artists per se but anybody that wants to create something so we had people of all ages all skill sets and we've done it now for two more years since oh wow and i yeah i think it's become something that's really fun so in springtime artwork kind of pops up in your neighborhood along with like spring flowers <laughs> And then they go away <laughs> and it's just something to share and have a discussion with. And I've actually met more neighbors from doing lawn art with neighbors than I have in the six years I've lived. That's there, awesome. You know? So yeah, it's a good, and now we're also partnered with um, the Mizzou extension community extension uh -huh. program. That's been a great connection because what they do is they, they have a whole like how to be neighborly uh, program. Oh and yeah. So, yeah. I've, I've read that yeah, page. David Burton, who heads that up, has been um, great in helping us in the last year or two years. Interesting. Okay. So, yeah. So it's kind of growing and spreading. Last year, we tried to get it beyond Springfield and into Greene County, and we had some success with that. Maybe this year it'll get even bigger. I well, I haven't we'll participated yet, but I do have an idea for something made with like PVC tubes and tent, um, you know, Oh, well, what's that? What are those called? Tent stakes, I guess, or whatever the, the yeah. poles are. Pit poles, tent poles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Poles? okay. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe fishing line or yarn. Yeah, you should. I've yeah. got an inspiration from uh, from all of the great um, uh, lawn art with neighbor uh, sculptures that have been uh, uh, on the website pictured from the past couple of years. It's great. Yeah, that's yeah, that's super exciting. I, I would encourage everybody to participate. It's a, it's a blast and it's just such an easy thing to do to meet people. Even if you don't want to make something, get out and talk to people about all the strange things in their yards. <laughs> well, so what's next for Sculpture Walk? When can we expect the next crop? Oh, good question. Sculpture Walk. Um, Sculpture Walk's growing. And I think right now, 
what we're going to look to for next year will be like an increase in the quality of artwork. Uh, we're probably not going to grow our footprint this year because we're as a young uh, nonprofit, which we just got nonprofit status last year um, is leading into like creating better procedures and all that kind of stuff and really growing um, our educational side of things. So next year, I think you're going to see more information about sculpture and also better sculpture than ever before, hopefully. Although I love the sculpture we have now. Awesome. And the next crop will be in April. Cool. That concludes this episode of our Cole Conversations. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and share the show on social media. You can follow the college on Facebook at msu.rcole and on Twitter at msu underscore rcole. And if you have an idea for a topic that you'd like to hear about on the podcast, please let me know. You can get a hold of me at jhoward at missouristate.edu. Thanks so much for listening.